Hi, my name is Megan Prado. We're going to be reading today in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, the, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Thank you, Megan. Uh, good morning. My name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to be with you. If you're a guest, there's a connect card under your chair. If you would like more information about the church, if we can serve you in any way, if you'd take a minute and fill out that connect card, we'd be uh, honored to connect with you, take you to lunch, take you to coffee, hear your story, figure out how we as a body could serve you. Um, and then on the back side of that Connect card is a space for prayer requests. Uh, Mark and I are trying to pray uh, more diligently and more often for you guys. But if you have some specific prayer needs, we would uh, be honored to come alongside you and, and intercede to the Lord on your behalf as well. So take a minute, fill that out. Uh, you can get that to one of us at the end of the service. If you need a Bible, uh, there in the back, you can raise your hand, Matt. In the back, we'll bring you some. They're on the resource table out there, so raise your hand. He can get you one. Um, we're in the ESV if you're on your phone or your tablet. So this is our last week of the uh, Vision and Values series. Up until this point, I've talked about vision and values in terms of gospel, community, mission. Let me tell you what those three things are briefly. We believe that Jesus Christ came to earth we believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life and then died the death that we deserve in order to make a way for our sins to be forgiven. He was then buried and resurrected to life three days later. And everything we do at Redeemer Odessa flows from our understanding of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross for us through the resurrection. So our belief of Jesus informs everything we do as a church and hopefully, if you're a Christian, it informs everything that you do as a believer. Out of that comes a relationship with Christ in which we are loved in spite of ourselves. And out of that love, it motivates us to go and love one another in uh, gospel community. And it motivates us to go to those around us who don't know Christ. And it motivates us to go to the nations. It motivates us to plant churches. It motivates us to share the gospel. And it motivates our activities in our homes and in our families. As a church at Redeemer Odessa, the gospel is the most important thing that we do. 
Without the gospel, without Christ's work on our behalf, we are no better than a social club. Without it, we are doomed to an eternity separated from, from God in hell. So a few weeks ago, we talked about the gospel. A few weeks ago, we talked about missions in a, over a couple weeks in terms of neighborhoods, nations, and next generations. That is, how are we then going to take the message of God, the message of Christ, how are we going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? And that includes, but not limited to, overseas missions, mission trips, planning churches, evangelism to our neighbors and coworkers, and discipleship of our kids. So last week we talked about community and what we believe about community. Our contention is this, that we are people designed for community by God who is in community within himself. And out of that, our contention is that we will never fully grow into who God has intended for us to be apart from good biblical community where we're not just hanging out, where we're not just talking about our lives, but good biblical, biblical community, good solid biblical community is a place where we are in the word of God together, where we are confessing sins to one another, and we are pushing one another to grow in godliness. Because we know more about God in the context of Christian relationships than we do alone. Oftentimes we are so blind to our own sinfulness that the church is actually a gift to us in our pursuit of holiness. In our pursuit of trying to put sin to death. So our contention at this church, because we believe that it's biblical and it's been affirmed by, affirmed by centuries of faithful saints before us is this. Anyone who does not have the church as his mother does not have God for his father. We would not, be diso we would not only be disobeying God if we... I usually expect that, and that one threw me off. I'm sorry. So, uh, we would not only be disobeying God if we knowingly and willingly don't submit to a local body, but, man, we would also be missing out on growth and intimacy that comes from being part of a local church. So we view community here as more than a program, because programs are optional. We view uh, community as an important part of the Christian life. To learn more about our view of community, I just would send you to the sermon from last week. It's on the website or the app if you have that. So today we are going to talk about a little more deeply about church membership, specifically service within the context of church membership. So last week we had three contentions we dealt with. Today I just want to submit a couple things to you for your consideration this morning. I always want there to be a balance when we come in here between grace and truth. Like I always want there to be a good marriage between proper doctrine and action, meaning what the Bible says, what's true according to the Word of God, and who the Bible says God is, and how we function out of our understanding of that within the church. I always want there to be a really good landing spot for us when we come before the Word of God together to leave both challenged and encouraged. Sometimes that can happen in the same message. Sometimes I think we need one or the other. Uh, I talked to my dad on the phone yesterday, and he goes, I listened to one of your sermons. You're not really the feel-good type of preacher that I like to listen to. <laughs> Anyways, today I'm going to try to be really encouraging to you this morning with, with what I'm going to contend. So uh, here's, 
here's what I'm thinking. This is a progression. Let's just walk through this progression together. A relationship with Jesus changes things, right? Meaning if you are in Christ, you are a new person. And that will be evident in how you live your life. The gospel just changes things. It changes everything. A true and right relationship with Jesus will definitely change your life. Thus, you are then motivated by his glory, not your own desires. And because of Jesus giving you new desires, because of new desires given to you by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, you are now free to love and serve God out of a relationship with him. Maybe a simplified way of saying this is we give ourselves to God We give ourselves to the church. We give of ourselves for the benefit of others. If you're a member of the community group here at Redeemer, you've been through the Gospel-Centered Life book. In the first chapter, he says the gospel is not only the means of our transformation, you know, from like death and sin to life in Christ. Like we're being changed, we're being transformed. The gospel is not only the means of our transformation, but it is also the means of our sanctification, or our growth in Christ. So I just want to look at a passage of Scripture together and talk about this with you this morning. Um, Let's pray, and and we're going to jump in. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us why. Lord, I pray that we would leave encouraged this morning by the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus, on our behalf. But, Lord, I pray that where there are moments where we need to be pushed and challenged, Lord, that you would do that as well. Only by your Holy Spirit, Lord, will you convict of sin. Lord, will you move us to action? Will you motivate our affections for you? Will you motivate our motives uh, for you and our activity for you this morning? Lord, show us where we failed, show us how to be dependent on you, Lord. I pray that you would just encourage the faint-hearted in here this morning, Lord, that we can see you for who you truly are, the high and lifted up, resurrected King, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, so just for clarity's sake and context's sake, this book, the book of Romans, is written by a guy named Paul. The book of Romans, apart from maybe the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, may be the most important book in all of the Bible as it pertains to just giving the readers a really good theological understanding of who God is and the work of Christ on the cross. Super important. So in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has been outlining his argument for who Jesus is, for what the gospel is, for who God is. He is presenting a defense of the gospel And when we get to our text today, Paul says, Therefore, 
So growing up, my, my pastor used to say this, anytime you see the word therefore, you should always look and see what it's there for. Uh, really corny, has stuck with me my entire life. Man, whatever it takes, remember the stuff. So uh, in this therefore, Paul is making a noticeable transition from the practical or even the theor- theoretical implications of the gospel of Jesus to how do they now get applied. With this therefore, Paul is inviting his readers on how to, to consider how do you move from a mere knowledge about who Jesus is to an actual and tangible, noticeable, distinct shift where being a Christ follower isn't merely in words, but now it's noticed in your actions. So Paul says, therefore, brothers, because of what I have just said in the previous 11 chapters, Paul is making his case based on a cause and an effect type argument, if you will. Because of the mercies of God, you get to follow God. By or because of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So let's break down some terms here. What is mercy and what are the mercies of God? So mercy means forgiveness. In biblical terms, it means to withhold punishment for something deserved. We deserve death. Mercy, God is withholding punishment of death for the sins that we have committed. And that's different from grace because mercy is not getting what we deserve. Death and condemnation... And grace, on the other hand, is getting everything we don't deserve. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve justification. We don't deserve adoption as sons and daughters of Jesus. We don't deserve eternal life. And God has given those to us. Grace and mercy are yours, Christian. So mercies of God. Here are the mercies of God according to this text. Because of the cross of Christ... We have been justified or made right with God, meaning you are no longer guilty before a righteous God. Another way to understand justification, Megan said her pastor used to say this growing up, justification is to think of it like this. To be justified is to be just like I never sinned. Justification, made right with God, and that is a mercy of God to you. Because of the cross of Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. That is a mercy of God. Because of the resurrection, we know that God works all things together for our good and for his glory. To those, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's a mercy of God. Because of the resurrection, God calls people to himself for saving faith in Jesus for his glory. And that is a mercy of God. The mercies of God means that eternal life is possible. And that because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, God is inside us. If you are a Christian, God dwells inside of you to work in you, to transform you, to give you life, and to propel you forward in mission with him. Because of the mercies of God, we now can present our bodies as the text says, as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. So the readers of this, of this letter, the book of Romans, would remember the Old Testament. 
Paul is calling our attention all the way back to the days when they would sacrifice animals according to the law. This was done to to make atonement, which is a payment. Atonement means a payment for sins. So this was done to make atonement for sins. However, the first purpose of sacrificing was worship. And in the New Testament, specifically in our text today, we have to be careful to make the proper distinctions in these types of sacrifices. So there are a few different types of sacrifices done in the Old Testament. There was the sacrifice for sins. But for the Christian, after the resurrection, Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice for our sins. So this is not at all what Paul is talking about. There was another type of sacrifice done in the Old Testament. It was the burnt offering. For this sacrifice, the person conducting the sacrifice would take a bull or a ram or a sheep from his flock or his herd, and it had to be an animal without blemish, like perfect animal. These animals were the most valuable to you as the owner. So why did God require that? God says, give me your best. Give me the best, the most expensive animal you had. Why does God require that? Because it was indeed the most expensive and the most valuable. When you made this type of sacrifice, you were showing that everything you had was from God and at God's disposal. R.C. Sproul says it like this. We think of sacrifice as the giving away of something of extreme value. There is an element of that in biblical sacrifice. But the primary point is not that we should lose something, but that we should express something. The whole principle of giving to God is an experience of worship. You're saying, God, you are better than this thing. You are far more valuable than this amount of money. And so because of the mercies of God, our response is now giving of ourselves to God. God. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. God, everything I have is at your disposal. God, please use my time, my talents, my resources for your kingdom. We know this is true because of what Paul says next. He says, with the mercies of God in view, you are to submit yourselves to God as a sacrifice, as a whole burnt offering. The ESV, which we use here at this church, says this is your spiritual act of worship. A lot of guys, a lot of biblical scholars, much smarter than than me, uh, say that all of the English translations of the Bible of this term, spiritual worship, in our text, or true and proper worship in other translations, all of these are not sufficient to really convey what Paul is trying to say here. The original language in the Greek in the New Testament, it's the word logikos, which is where we get our English word logic or logical. So Paul's saying this, Therefore, brothers, brothers, sisters, all believers, because of what God has done for you, the only logical response then is worship with all of your life. Present the totality of your life to God as a vehicle or an instrument for him to use as he sees fit. Keller says it this way. This means that it is only in light of God's mercy that offering our whole selves can be seen as rational or logical. 
once you have a good view of God's mercy, anything less than total and complete sacrifice of yourself to God is completely irrational. If you give yourself partially, if you give of yourself half-heartedly, you are simply just not thinking. You are not looking at what Jesus did. If what he did on the cross does not move you, if it does not break the ice over your soul, you must ask yourself, have I ever really understood the gospel? So then Paul says, don't be conformed any longer to this world. If, in fact, you are in Christ, the response isn't conformity. It's not conformity to the world standards. It's not conformity to what culture deems appropriate or successful. It's not conformity to what would seem noble and honorable in the eyes of the culture. Rather, it's the transformative power of God in your life. Because of the redeeming power of God in our lives to change us, to work in us, to give us a new heart, our desires change. Our motives are altered. If Christ has indeed intercepted your heart, you will want to follow him. You will strive to follow him. And when you sin, because you will, confess and repent and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. In order for our lives to not be conformed to the world, our minds have to be transformed, as the text says. We must be setting our minds on the things of the Lord. And Paul invites us to test these things in order to discern what the will of God is. Setting your mind on the things of the Lord is more than just showing up to church from time to time. It's more than just praying at the dinner table. It's more than reading your Bible when you can fit it into your schedule. Setting your minds on the things of the Lord are an intentional following of Christ in obedience. Considering the love of Jesus that led him to the cross for you. And considering the implications of the resurrection of Jesus, that without Christ you are hopeless, that is setting your mind on things of the Lord. Perhaps setting your mind on a practical level, perhaps setting your mind on the things of the Lord looks like asking yourself a series of questions. Does what I'm about to do spur me on to godliness? Does this decision, does this purchase, does this whatever glorify God or does it glorify me or does it lead me to sin the standard of godliness the standard of holiness the standard of honoring the Lord is set before us in Jesus and we are told what these things are in the scriptures because you are commanded to be a living sacrifice to God anything short of that which is acceptable to God Christian is not for you because of Christ, man, listen to me. Because of Christ, you are worth far more than your old self would claim. You are worth more than the guilt and the shame and the fear and the doubt. You know that feeling that wells up inside of you when you sin? You're worth more than that. Because of Christ, you are loved in spite of it all. You get to repent. 
and receive forgiveness. Repentance is a mercy of God out of the kindness of God to you. So if verses 1 and 2 talk about giving ourselves to God, Paul then leads to giving ourselves to the church. And I don't mean church membership specifically, although I do think it's implied because this is talking about service. We can't serve the body of Christ if we're not connected to the body of Christ, right? So let's look at a few things together. Romans 12 verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I I thought it was kind of an interesting connection. Paul says, have your minds transformed and renewed by the mercies of God. And then the very next verse he says, don't think too highly of yourselves. This isn't an invitation to self-pity. This isn't an invitation to self-deprecation. This isn't even an invitation to false humility or a humble brag. But he says, think of yourselves with sober judgment. This means exactly how we use the word sober most often today. If one is inebriated, if you've been to college, you know what I'm talking about. If one is inebriated, he or she cannot think clearly, right? Paul is saying, don't be drunk on yourselves. View yourselves rightly. And Paul's speaking with some apostolic authority here. He says, by the grace given to me, everyone, meaning everyone in the church, all Christians, don't be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. But serve one another in humility. Christians, view yourselves the right way. You are all sinners saved by grace. We are all sinners saved by grace. When Paul says, view yourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, he's not saying that our view of ourselves is dependent upon how much faith we have. But what he's saying is that if you are in Christ, you have received faith in Christ, and the measure of faith is how you are to measure yourselves. You are to first realize that within the context of the local church, we're all exactly the same. Regardless of your age, regardless of your background, regardless of your ethnicity, if you are a part of the church, we are all saved by faith in Christ. And therefore, God loves us all equally. So with the measure of faith that God has given to us, let us view ourselves and others in the right context. The cross frees you from having to perform because we think too low of ourselves. And the cross frees you from having to pretend because you think you're better than you are. We are all needy sinners in need of a Savior who has been provided for us through Jesus. God's opinion of you is the only one that matters. And when you realize that, when you realize that, that Jesus' blood speaks a better word over you. When you realize that, it frees you to serve and function rightly in life and in the household of faith. Look at what Paul says. Romans 12, beginning in verse 4, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul now switches from personal to corporate. Your faith is absolutely personal, yes? But by no means is it individualistic. That may be the most anti-West, anti-West Texas, anti-Bible Belt thing that can be said. The gospel eliminates the pull-yourselves-up-by-your-own-bootstraps West Texas sentiment that we like out here. In light of this text, you are not called to Lone Ranger Christianity. That doesn't even exist in the Bible. Here's what I'll say. Verse 4. This is similar to like 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 4 is talking about the church. Christians, we are one body. Every single believer is part of the body. But think about, think about your own body, right? Um, generally speaking, two hands, two feet, two eyes, a mouth, organs, etc. Each member, each body part serves a different function and a different role. So it is within the family of God and within the local church. Paul gives us in this, in this text a list of what are known as the spiritual gifts. There's another one of these lists in Ephesians 4 and another one in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. I would tell you that I don't think these lists are exhaustive, meaning there's likely more gifts and functions within the church that could be included in these lists. But I would also tell you this. I think these lists are sufficient. Each one of you, if you are a Christian, have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And because of that, you have been given certain passions, desires, interests, and abilities that are meant for service to the body of Christ. Man, and that's a grace on your life. As well as a grace to the church to have you here. And for you to possess the gifts that you have. The call for you is to serve out of your gifting... Not to puff yourselves up, but to serve the church and others in humility. Serving is meant to be a blessing for you, because when you serve with the abilities God has equipped you with, it is an act of worship to Him. It is an act of submission to Him. He has loved and served us by dying in our place. So let's look real quickly uh, at what these gifts are in this text. Prophecy. When Paul says to prophesy in proportion to our faith, that isn't meaning the amount of faith. He's saying in affirmation to the confession of Jesus, the faith. Prophecy seems to suggest a spontaneous but very concrete word of knowledge that is helpful and practical in a moment and in a situation. So that's prophecy. We can get into that. We're going to get into some more of this later in future texts, but I'm just running through these. Service. People with this gift are great team workers. You don't want the spotlight. You're good at accomplishing practical tasks. Teaching, making the truth about God clear and understandable. Exhortation, this is similar to teaching. Possibly preaching, but not limited to that. Generosity, giving in unusual proportions, but also wise in how you do it. Leadership, an ability to get people to follow you as a vision caster. Mercy. People who are specifically moved to work with marginalized. 
And all of these things are needed in the church in order that we are a healthy and functioning body of believers, doing the work in which God has prepared for us to do beforehand. And if you don't know what your gift is, if, if you're like, I wonder what my spiritual gift is, here's some tools to like, help you discern that. Ask yourself some questions. Man, what do I enjoy doing? Where are the needs in my specific local church? Do I feel burdened in a special or specific way to one unique group of people? Man, then get some experience and explore those gifts. If you want to lead in kids or college ministry or explore a teaching gift that might be there, man, our desire as leadership here at this church is we just want to equip you for ministry. We need group leaders who can teach and exhort. We want to equip you for service, not just to create consumers in this church. So if you have an idea or a passion, man, let's talk about it. And if it's within the ministry strategy and philosophy of this church, let's, let's try it out. Get in the word. Study the list. Allow the Lord to guide you towards your calling as a believer. And then use your gift to serve God and others. And let me just say this real quick. Just by way of encouragement and perhaps a gentle pastoral nudge, uh, some of you may look at a list like this and think, well, I'm not all that passionate about marginalized people, so I'm, I don't feel called to mercy, so, I, so I'm not going to do mercy things. I, I'm, not, I'm not generous. I'm not generous. I don't feel called to be generous, so I'm not going to be generous. The point isn't that you run through these lists and pick and choose what you like. The point is that you just follow Jesus. And Jesus is all of these things. So while each of us are uniquely designed for certain things that God has wired us for, each of you, each of us, were called to pursue all the gifts in order to become more like Christ. For example, in my Acts 29 assessment I did a couple years ago, one assessor asked Kendra and I, hey, do I have to do foster care to, to be a part of your church? And I said, no, but you do have to care. We care for people because God cares for people. We're generous because God has been generous to us. So don't use these lists as an excuse to not do something. But look at this list and allow it to push you into deeper dependency on the Lord for ministry. All of these gifts on this list are to reveal to us where our strengths lie for service now and then push us to pray that the Lord would use you in these areas and then also that you would pray that the Lord would grow you in other areas and in other ways. So that's spiritual gifts. What we've seen thus far is that we've given ourselves to God as living sacrifices, given ourselves to the church through serving with our gifts. And here's the last thing I'll say. The gospel impacts our relationships with each other, and the gospel shapes our ethics. Verses 9 through 16 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So I'm going to hit on a few things here. Um, We're going to unpack all this in future sermons. I've said that a lot in this series. (laughs) Uh, Verse 9 says, let love be genuine. Don't be fake. Don't be fake. Don't be falsely nice. Real, genuine, godly love is not marked by just saying the right things. It's marked by action. And in doing so, that is actually the most countercultural thing you could do. This love is not fake niceness. But we're going to love one another. And because of that, we're going to get to be honest with one another and hold one another accountable. Within the context of community, we're not just going to allow one another to persist in sin. Man, genuine love is concerned about truth. It's concerned about your growth. We'll speak up, even when it's hard and uncomfortable. Because in love, we're going to fight for one another. And that means pushing one another towards Jesus. And let's just be real honest for a second. Apart from Christ, nothing in us is worthy of love. We are only lovable because Jesus saw fit to die for us. And Jesus saw fit to save us. Real love looks like hating sin and clinging to what is good. That is Jesus. Christians are called to love and serve one another as we would our own family. We are called to rejoice in every circumstances, every circumstance, even within trials and tribulations, because Christ is your reward. And Christ has overcome sin and death for you. It is going to be okay. We're called to celebrate the, the wins of others in our communities. We're called to celebrate these wins as if they are our own wins. And when Scripture calls us to weep with those who weep, we do so. We mourn those losses as if they are our own losses. We're to pray for each other constantly and consistently. That is true service to the church. And that is true service to God. And so the call this morning is really just to consider your service to the Lord and to others. Are you meaningfully connected to the body of Christ? Are you serving the body? Are you in fellowship with Jesus? And is it leading you to connection to his body? Man, if not, let's change that. If you're a covenant member here and you're looking for ways to serve, we have a myriad of things that we need help with, so come on. This text, though, also motivates us to be hospitable. So here's a question. Are you leveraging your time, your talent, and your resources for the kingdom of God? If the answer is no, you may subtly be thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to be. The call this morning is to consider how to stir one another up for love and good works in Jesus, for the benefit of the kingdom. 
May we be people motivated by God's love for us. In view of his mercies, may we go and do likewise. And in doing so, we are modeling the love that Christ has for his people. It is a love that is marked by the selflessness and sacrificial giving of ourselves because we are following the example of Christ to us. This Jesus who created us and loved us was unwilling to leave us as we were, hopeless and needy, desperate sinners. Jesus stepped out of perfection, lived the life we were supposed to live but couldn't because our sin is so great. He willingly took on the cross and died the death that was reserved for us and paid for our sins by becoming death for us. Now we can be reconciled through the blood of Jesus back to God. That is good news, church. Christ, through his death, was serving. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now we're called to love and worship him in obedience and submission to Jesus. So the call is to repent. Repent of your sins, repent of your unbelief, and allow the Lord then to show you how to love and serve him. Let's pray.